Good morning, church. Uh, this is very personal for Kathy and I. Uh, for seven years, we did a youth camp up above Fairfield in the hills, called it the Rough Creek Retreat. And uh, last weekend, I officiated at a wedding, and there was five young men uh, that had been to different uh, Rough Creek retreats that we'd been part of. A couple of them I didn't even remember. I mean, they're kids, half dozen different fellowships, hundred and some kids, and uh, it, I had a couple of conversations on how it impacted. I mean, they're 26, 27, 28-year-old guys, and just how it impacted them. So having these guys go off uh, and seeing what the fruit of that ministry does is, is a big deal. So, I'll, we're in uh, a Luke, we're Luke eleven fourteen through 26. <clears throat> and he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was, when the demon had gone out, that the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said he casts out demon by Elzebub, the ruler of the demons, others testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore... They will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, takes away from him all of his armor, armor in which he is trusted, and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest. Finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and they dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you for you, for your love, and for your word. And, uh, Lord, I just pray that you would, uh, a couple of things, prepare our hearts to receive your word, that it would uh, accomplish what you desire as we, we look at this very real plague upon our planet, Lord. And Father, we've, uh, I think we all know people that are under oppression from forces outside of themselves and, and the despair, and it can even drive them to death. So Lord, equip us, give us a heart and a knowledge, and uh, Lord, be with Jackie, and, and even moment by moment, guide his thoughts, his heart, his speech to us, Lord, that it would reflect what you want us to know and understand. And Lord, that we would leave here today more in love with you and more given over to you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, we have a text before us that talks talks about uh, demon possession. And oftentimes, when we come on this subject, there's a lot of questions, a lot of wonder, a lot of concern. And I think we fall into two camps, really. Um, One camp that overemphasizes demons, and one camp that underemphasizes them. (laughs) And I think we need to be careful of both. I think too often we don't acknowledge the things that truly can be and are demonic in nature. We, we lose touch with the supernatural in the Bible. You know the Bible's a supernatural book, right? There's some wild stories, some wild events that take place in the Scripture that uh, deal specifically with, with the demonic. And... One of the interesting things about Messiah is that when Messiah came, he showed that he had power over the demonic. Now prior to that, there are lots of exorcists. There are people we're going to see in the story today that that go around and, and talk about setting people free of their bondage to the demonic. And they had various levels of success in doing so. Otherwise, what's the point of the last story with the empty house? The point is, they didn't have what would ultimately save. They didn't have what would ultimately deliver. And so, Jesus is here to show us. Now, as we come to this section in Luke 11, just so we can kind of keep our minds straight at what's going on, Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem. He's moving toward the crucifixion, and popular opinion about Him is shifting. You're going to see greater and greater attacks from the Pharisees as we move forward. And you're going to see more and more of those attacks come from the crowd. Come out of the crowd toward Him. And He's going to respond. So there's a lot of these things that are, that are happening as we look at what's going on. But the first thing we see is that the, the multitudes, the people, are going to marvel at what He did. And the difference, here's what we have to see, the difference between what He did and what everybody else was doing. It says in verse one or verse fourteen, now he was casting out a demon that was mute, and when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people, what's the word? Marveled. They're blown away. There was something about what Jesus did that was different than what everyone else did. There were people who were delivered prior to Christ. There were people that he's going to point to the Pharisees and say, if I cast out demons by the power of Beelzebub, who do your sons do it by? What does that imply? There's other people doing it, right? It wasn't just something that Jesus did, but there was something very different about it when he did it. There was something very different about the authority. That's why the Pharisees respond like they do. The Pharisees see this event, which they have probably seen similar things happen in the past, but there was something distinct about it. So distinct that it made them say, whoa, he only was able to do that because of this. And I think we sometimes lose sight of that. We have a, we have a habit in our day to remove ourselves from the supernatural. 
to back ourselves away from the fact that there is anything that can be going on supernaturally. People look at these stories in the Bible and they say, well, that was just because they didn't understand science then and they thought everybody who was sick had a demon. It was the demon of mute or, or the demon of epilepsy or, or whatever things. But here's the truth of what we find when we look in the Scripture. Jesus always makes a distinction between the sick. He'll say, this one is sick, this one is sad, this one is possessed. He doesn't treat them all as though they're possessed. He doesn't treat them all as though it's just an illness. As a matter of fact, Jesus' approach is to say, I think you're naive if you think that everything that happens to a man or happens to a woman or happens to a child can be solved by a doctor or medicine. If that's true, how come we're not winning? How come when we look at the reality of of modern advancement, and we are advancing in a lot of ways, how come there are still things we can't cure? If it's solely science, if it's only the proper application of the right groupings of chemicals, and we can overcome whatever lies before us, I think Jesus would say we're naive to think that there's not a spiritual dimension to the things that are happening in our lives. Do we think that all of our problems are only natural? Because the Bible would say, you do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What does that mean? That means that the enemies that you struggle with aren't flesh and blood. But you wrestle against what? Principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. He's he's pointing to the reality that there is a supernatural element in our lives that we tend to ignore. Jesus didn't ignore that when He came. And it stuck out so much in their culture and in their time that it, it drove the Pharisees and the people to say, there's something distinct and different about what He's doing. There's something different about what's happening. When we look at our world today, what do we think? Evil only takes one form? How do we answer the questions of the horrific events we see take place in our world? We comfort ourselves by by saying that, that evil is something out there. Or something someone did to that person. Or... Or... A variety of other ways that we might look at a situation. But the Word of God tells us it's the heart of man is deceitful and wicked above all things. We don't need a demon to do evil. We're capable of it ourselves, And because of that, maybe sometimes we ignore the reality that sometimes there is a supernatural involvement. Maybe we're being too simplistic. Not considering the things that the Word of God lays out for us. Listen to what a similar story, demon possession, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 33. Listen to what they said. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled. What did they say? Never has anything like this seen in Israel. Never has anything like this been seen in Israel. Doesn't that sound like something's distinct? 
Something's different? Was it tangible? Was it intangible? How did they, how did they acknowledge? How did they recognize it? How did they, how did they know? It says in Matthew 12, 23, and all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? So the people, when it says the people marveled, they're thinking, is this Messiah? Is this the promised one who has come? Is this the one that some are, are asking themselves that? And others are saying, how did he just do that? And when I look at the text, I, I have this, uh, this questioning nature in me. I want to know, what was it that they saw? I mean, it's easy to walk up to somebody and say, I cast a demon out of you. That's simple. What was it they saw that made them know that it had happened? Scripture says he spoke. Is that all there was? I don't know. I don't know. I just know that their response is to challenge him immediately. See, the the Pharisees, they hear the people. They hear the murmuring of the crowd. Could this be the son of David? Nobody's ever been able to do something like this before. So they bring out an accusation. Look what it says in verse 15. Some of them said, well, he casts out demons by Beelzebub. Some of our translations say Beelzebul. It's really not that much of a difference. One is Lord of the Flies. The other is Lord of the Dung. Both kind of mean the same thing, right? He casts them out by the God of garbage. By the bad, by the evil one. Yes? In fact, we, we, are, we recognize these characters from Scripture. In, in 2 Kings chapter 1, there's a story about a king there. The king's name is Ahaziah. And he falls through a lattice and gets hurt. And as Ahaziah is laying there hurt, he's a king in Samaria in the northern kingdom. He sends messengers, he says to them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether or not I will recover. It's a Jewish king saying, go inquire Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to find out whether or not I'm going to get better. It's not a new character. Sometimes I think we, we disassociate ourselves from the story of the Bible. And we see when we look at the word of God in Genesis, back at the beginning, we see the fall of man. Everybody's familiar with the fall of man, right? Original sin, we talk about that, right? Adam's fall. And what happens, Adam's fall, they're put outside of the Garden of Eden. But is that the end of the corruption of man? Have you read your Bible? What happens in Genesis 6? We can argue about it all day. But the reality is, the Scripture says something supernaturally took place between angels and men. And man was corrupted further. And is that the end of the story? We have a flood that occurs, right? And all flesh starts over. And we start over with Noah and his family. But what happens in Genesis chapter 10? The rebellion of man again is flared up. And he's building a ziggurat. He's building a mountain. Why is he building a mountain? Because they believe that God dwelt on mountains. And so they're saying, we are our own God. It's not new. 1933 didn't establish that. That's been in the heart of man since the fall of man. So you have the fall of man, the corruption of man, and the rebellion of man. All the way up Genesis 1 to Genesis 10 before you're introduced to Abraham. That is what's happening. We get to the end of Genesis chapter 10. God disinherits the nations. What do I mean by it? God disinherits the nations? He does this. He says, 
uh, I'm going to confuse your language because when you guys all get together, all you want to do is evil all the time. So I'm going to, I'm going to confound you. So he confuses their tongues and how do people divide? They divide by the ones they can understand them, right? If you and I try to talk and I'm, what I say sounds like gibberish, you're not going to hang out. You're going to go find somebody you can talk to. So mankind separates into the nations. And the scripture declares, Deuteronomy 32.8, it says that God gave the nations to the Beni Elohim. He surrendered the nations to the angels. Do you ever wonder where all the false gods came from? Do you really think man just dreamed that up in his head? And so you have these nations. And this one that we just read about, Ekron, the city of Ekron, they had their own local god, right? What was his name? Beelzebub. He comes up again and again. In fact, Scripture is going to talk to us about him being the prince of the demons, or a ruler of the demons. Who would that remind us of? Satan, the fellow who started this all. The angelic host. In, in Psalm 82, guys, God declares that He's going to judge all the angels. He's going to judge the Elohim. He's going to judge them because they did not rule the geographical areas that God gave them the way they were supposed to rule them. That, he, that they led the people to worship angels. That they led them to worship false gods. So God says, I don't have anything to do with any of you nations. Then what happens in the next chapter in Genesis? God says, I'm going to start a new nation. And so from the nations, from the Goyim, Gentiles, he takes one character. What's his name? Abraham. Abraham, go to a place where I will show you and I will give it to you. I'm going to make you what? A nation. And when you become a nation, what are you going to become? A light to who? The goyim, to all the nations, you're going to be the light to the nations because from you, Abraham, will come, not plural, a seed that will bless all the nations. In the Gospels, we're reading about that seed. Jesus come to do what? Redeem the nations that are what? That are fallen, corrupt, and rebellious. And so we see this story. Jesus is proclaiming as Messiah, I have power over them. They don't have power. They have lies. Well, they might have more power than us. I mean, let's face it. If you saw an angel today who flew into this room and told you he had something to tell you, you, you wouldn't like think, whoa, this is crazy. No? Do you know that there are two... Religious groups that began that way? Two? Visited by an angel? You really think that didn't happen? You think that supernatural is just hocus pocus? Of course it happened. Just like it happened back in the beginning. Just like it happened back in Genesis 6. Just like it really happened to this guy who's standing before Jesus and Jesus really touches him and really delivers him and there's something different about the deliverance that he brings than anybody else ever experienced. There was something different about what he did. Yes, there is a supernatural world. And yes, their goal is to what? Deceive. Destroy. 
Isn't that what they're doing? That's why the Bible says, look, if we or an angel bring to you any other gospel, do what? Yes, be careful. Be careful. But if you and I saw an angel, something otherworldly, supernatural, doesn't that, isn't that going to change? Our, our minds are going to be blown away. And if that being tells us something, will we believe it? And is every being that is supernatural good? What if they're beautiful? Are they good? What if they can do amazing things? What if they can heal? What if they can give victory in battle? What if they can do any number of things that we can't? The Bible warns us very clearly to be careful. The question of these Pharisees, of these men in the crowd, of these people there, is that, look, whatever he just did, he did by the power of Satan, not under... You know the question's not whether or not he did it. Do you see that? The question is not, did he deliver this man? No, the man's delivered. Whatever occurred, they know, man, that he just cast out a demon, and we've never seen anything like that before. So there was something different about it. <clears throat> they don't argue that. They don't say he's not really delivered. He's still in bondage to the demon. They don't say any of those things. What do they say? What are they questioning? By what authority did he do it? By what authority? Who gave him the power to do this thing? Was it Beelzebub? Was it Beelzebub? The Lord of the Flies? In 2 Kings 1, 2 through 3, Elijah the Tishbite, it says in verse 3, The angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up and meet the messenger of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going after to inquire Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? God doesn't deny the existence of spiritual beings that portray themselves to be false gods. What did Paul say they were? Paul said, do you not know an idol is nothing? It's empty, it's nothing. He says they are shadim, demons. Is there really a supernatural force? Is that supernatural force that is in our world geographic? What about the book of Daniel? You remember the book of Daniel? Daniel's praying, Lord, I'm looking for some answers. And so Gabriel is on his way to Daniel. And you remember Gabriel was delayed 21 days. That's why there's a 21-day Daniel fast. Daniel fast for 21 days, awaiting his answer. And when Gabriel showed up, you remember what he said? He said, as soon as you prayed, I was dispatched. God sent me. I started to come. But the prince of Persia withheld me. And Michael had to come. And set me free. What is that? Is that not a, some type of supernatural battle geographically based? You ever wonder why certain parts of the earth are constantly in turmoil? And do we really think it's just those people? Because the Bible would say we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Is it really all the Palestinians? Is it really all the Jews? Is it really 
all of anybody? Or is there something else at work? Jesus came to say, look, I have power over all of that. I can set you free. There will be no peace without the King of Peace. There will be no peace in my life until I surrender to the King of Peace. Because only He can deliver me from my demons, from my garbage, from my junk, from my stuff, whatever. He's the deliverer. He is the one who will set us free. So Jesus is going to give them an answer. Look what He says in verse 17. But He, knowing their thoughts even more than what they said, He said, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And a divided household falls. So if Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Do you really think Satan is empowering Jesus so that the people will believe he's the Messiah? Because that's what the crowd was saying, right? Do you... In fact, he's, he's, he's going to go on. Let's develop it a little further. He's going to go on and he's going to say, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, <coughs> by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. So what Jesus did, nobody had ever seen, right? Matthew says, man, we've never seen anything like this before. But the Pharisees, sons of the Pharisees, they cast out demons. They embattled, they found themselves in battle with the supernatural. And they achieved some level of victory. But there was something so different about Jesus, they say, oh, that could only be done by the power of Satan. So Jesus is saying, so what are you saying? If I do this by the power of Satan, who do your sons do it by? If what I did was so distinct, you'd never seen anything like it before, then are you saying the power of Satan is more powerful than God? Because I'm sure they would have said their sons cast out by the power of God and Jesus by the power of Satan, right? Isn't that their point? Jesus is saying, they'll be your judge. They know. They know the truth, the power of of what they're able to do, of what they're able to accomplish. Think about our world today. When our world today looks at, at, at something, what the, the biologist will say it's chemistry. The moralist will say it's a problem with sin. The psychologist will say it's a failure to cope. If the answers was all wrapped up in those sciences, wouldn't one of them have found it? Wouldn't they have achieved it? When I was a kid growing up, we, we never heard of autism. Do you remember being a kid? Now it's like one in a thousand. Do you understand how big that is? What causes it? I don't know. How do you cure it? I don't know. My question is it wholly physical? Is it? I don't know. I don't know. I'll be honest. I sat over my son's bed and prayed the demons out of him. I still don't know. 
we're so sure we have all the answers today. And that all the answers can't be, can't have anything to do with the supernatural. (laughs) Where did it come from? Yeah, there were autistic people before, but not like now. I bet you all know one. If you stand out in the foyer today, you'll get run over by one later on when Joe's coming through. (laughs) And if you come over to my house, there's a chance you get to see him too. Yeah. But you know the reality, when we look at all these things, we all think that there's some kind of answer. There's so many ways for us to find deliverance. What's Jesus' point? Jesus' point, even in here, is, hey, you could be delivered by the sons of the Pharisees. Maybe you've been delivered by this, or maybe you've been delivered by that. There's a lot of ways to be delivered. There's only one way to be saved. Only one. There's a lot of ways to be delivered. But only one way to be saved. But sometimes people say this. Well, whatever works for them, it's good. I mean, whatever it was, you know, they, they, this happened. A guy came over and, and uh, you know, they killed a chicken over him and squirted chicken blood on him and rubbed some bones together and he feels better. And if it works for him, great. You know, he's found his truth. But what Jesus is going to say, there's a lot of ways to be delivered, but only one way to be saved. And you might get delivered and find out that you were only delivered by the very power that seeks to enslave. We look at the scripture, he goes on and says in verse 20, But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then know this, The kingdom of God has come upon you. If it is by the finger of God. Look, he's referencing Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8, guys, verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, excuse me, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff, strike the dust of the earth, and it will become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And you're all right, brother. You just look at me and know, Jackie must be thirsty. Is it all my coffin? (laughs) Thanks. It'll become gnats or lice in all the land. And they did so. And Aaron stretched out his hand and his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. And the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. And magicians tried by their secret arts to produce them. But they could not. So there was gnats on man and beast. And the magician said to Pharaoh, what? This is the finger of God. What does that mean? It's the active power of God working. Jesus is saying, if I do this by the active power of God, then you need to know this, the kingdom of God has drawn near. The kingdom of God is about delivery. It's about being set free from bondage. It's about being set free from me. Because sometimes I am my biggest problem. Any of you guys ever experienced that? Sometimes I'm it. Sometimes I'm the demon because I do all the stupid things I do and I make all the dumb excuses I make. The reality is that I can only be delivered of that through Jesus Christ. I can read self-help books and maybe I'll, I'll become a better person and I'll be kinder and gentler and nicer. But if I'm not saved, what good is it? 
If I don't have an eternal home with Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, what, what was the point? I, I enter into hell, cleaned, swept. But the end of the story is worse than the first part, no? Jesus is declaring, man, I, I want you to know the kingdom of God has come. The deliverance is here. So he gives them an example. He tells them a parable. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. Now, let's make it clear. What are we talking about? This whole story is all about casting out demons. So who's the strong man? The strong man is Satan, the demonic power. And if he's in this home, and he's got it all armed, and he's, he's good, everything's good. But when a stronger than he comes and overcomes him and takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil, whoever is not with me is against me. He's saying, look, the, a strong man is overcome by a stronger. Strong man is overcome by a stronger. The strongest, the most powerful, is Jesus Christ. He is able. He is able. He's going to define this a, a little more for us, but he wants us to understand that his conquest of the demonic powers is the kingdom of God has come. <clears throat> the kingdom of God that, that promises deliverance when you are possessed by him. Not when your house is empty or filled with another, but when it's filled with Him, then you're secure. Everything is sure. As we look, everything about what we're looking at all hinges on on one point. What is it? The whole struggle is fundamentally determined by what you do with Jesus. Are you with Him? He who is not with me is. He who does not gather with me. God made a clear line, a clear delineation. Sound like there's a middle ground in there somewhere? No middle? Does it sound like there's a neutral area somewhere? No, no, no such thing as neutral. Who are you? This is a, an opportunity for us to proclaim who we are and what we're about. And that's why I think we see the Scriptures moving in, in power, especially at the time of Christ, through the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the poor and the people who everybody didn't think much of. Because those people didn't have some kind of a, an attitude or an air about them that they would say, oh, I'm, I'm this or I'm that, or I, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I've made myself better. They just knew who they were. They just knew their need. <clears throat> and so they would come and they would say, you know what? I identify with you. You're my king. I've always loved that about Celebrate Recovery. A lot of people have a lot of opinions. 
And you're welcome to your opinion. I've told you you can be wrong as much as you want. I don't mind. But what I love about it, what I absolutely love, is your identity is in Christ. Period. Do they use steps? Sure. Each step is one of the Beatitudes. It's, it's working your way through the things Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. It's saying, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. And He has set me free. And I still have some struggles. Is that not true of anyone in here? That's the reality. That's what things are really going on. Who are you? <coughs> Who are you with? Are you with Him? Is He the Lord and Savior of your life? How are you responding to Him? You can be delivered a hundred ways. You can clean up your house and sweep it all out and everything can look great. You can make your family look great on the outside. You can make everything look good on the inside. You may even feel wonderful. And still, find yourself on the path to destruction. Because Jesus said, why it is the road to destruction. Many there are who find it, but narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And the key to that way is following Jesus Christ. Following Him. Are you with me? In verse 24, He says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person. Now, He didn't say, When the unclean spirit was cast out. Did He? When the unclean... This is a a volitional choice of the spirit. You mean a spirit can... Possess and then leave and decide he wants to go somewhere else? Well, apparently, isn't that what it says? It doesn't say after Jesus cast him out, this is what happens. It says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through literally waterless places. What's that about? The spirit passes through waterless places. Desert places. What does that mean? You know that the scripture teaches us that God is a God of refreshment. That he's always giving us torrents of living water in desert places. So when, it, when the scripture describes someone as walking through arid, desert, uh, waterless places, you're walking outside of God's blessing. You don't want to be anywhere where God is. You want to be away from him. That seems like what a demon would want, right? He just wants to be someplace else. So he wanders through waterless places seeking rest, but he doesn't find any. Why doesn't he find any? Is there any rest for the rebellious against God? He's never going to find it. He's never going to find a rest place. The demon's never going to find a place where he could just settle down and find peace. So finding none, he says, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to where I was. I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, finds a house swept and put in order. It's like the person was delivered, right? The demon's not there. They cleaned up the house. Everything's comfortable. Everything's clean. Everything looks good. And the demon, he, he looks around and he says, man, this house looks great. What's the problem with the house? It's empty. Your soul abhors a void. 
you will fill it. It wants to be full. It wants to be filled. So when it comes, it finds a house swept in an order, and it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So they were delivered. Somehow they were, they were delivered. And, and, and the demon left, and life got better, but then... The end was worse. And I think when we look at the story, we always think, well, that's because seven demons came in, and she, they just ran around crazy and pulled out their hair. And Is that how it always looks? Are you sure? If everybody who was demon-possessed ran around with slobber coming out of their face, and their eyes crossed, and screaming and hollering and saying all kinds of crazy things, we'd all know, wouldn't we? Like, whoa, that's, look at that dude. Something's up. Why do you think it looks like that? Boy, Hollywood did a number on you. Oh, we all, maybe when we was kids, watched a movie and said, that must be what it looks like. Maybe it is sometimes. Is it always? Are you sure? What would be a worse state? for me, would be a person full of seven demons who's pretty sure they're good. My life's pretty good. I found my truth, and my truth has set me free. I was once uh, struggling with alcohol, and, and I made these choices, and I got together with these folks or with these concepts, and I got myself out, and I'm good. There's lots of ways to be delivered. There's only one way to be saved. There's lots of ways to find your house clean and be in a worse situation because now you don't think you need Jesus. Jesus is standing here before the masses doing things nobody has ever been able to do, so much so that the people are saying, man, we've never seen anything like this. And then immediately, where do they go Oh, he must be doing it because there's something evil or twisted in him. You guys know that's what we do, right? Always think it's out there. The boogeyman's out there. The boogeyman's my neighbor. Not really, I just use that as an example. <clears throat> in case you come over. The boogeyman's... The guy that lives across the street. The boogeyman's those people who think that way. The boogeyman's the people who think that way. The boogeyman's the people who struggle with this. No, the boogeyman's the people who struggle with that. And we always want to take a finger and say, if we can't understand something, or we can't comprehend something, or we can't understand somebody's view, they're the boogeyman. They're evil. Is that how the Bible tells us to do it? We're good at being divided today. We're good at schismata. A house divided. We're good at drawing lines of distinction. Well, I can't go there because of this, or I can't do that. I can't join together or be a part of this because of you know, whatever things we use to divide ourselves. Jesus said a house divided cannot stand. <laughs> Remember I told you <clears throat> in the beginning... 
God confused the tongue of man because man was coming together in one goal, one goal to be, to do evil. So the Lord said, I'm going to make my own nation. I'm going to shine a light to the Gentiles. I'm going to bring Messiah. I'm going to raise him up. He's going to gather people from all the nations, every tribe, nation, and tongue. He's going to bring them together in one place, and they're going to have unity. Because if they have unity, there's nothing they can't do. So all the world clamors to come together. And the church, the one entity who really can come together, clamors to get apart. And you just think that's happenstance? It's accidental? Or do we really wrestle against principalities and powers and is there more taking place around us and more things happening around us and we we think about all those things and maybe we begin to freak out a little bit and we get to wonder about it but we look at stories like this and we see that Jesus is saying he has victory and power over all of that so what are we supposed to do man the the victory in Christ is being able to face the storm and sing. Not not to have a storm. The victory in Christ is able to plunge into the darkness and know that Christ will be your light. That's the victory. Not not ever having to walk in the darkness. There's victory in Him but that victory comes from the reality that we have made a choice. What is that choice? We've made a choice to say, I'm yours. You're mine. Your king, your ruler. My house, maybe it's clean, maybe it's a mess. When I gave my house to the Lord, my house was a mess. There was nothing in it. It was all upside down, twisted backwards. And maybe you say, Jackie, your house still don't look all that great. I'll, I'll admit, I am... In the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. I haven't arrived yet. But as I move forward, there's one thing I know. He's the king. And I'll follow him in the dark or in the storm. And I pray, I pray, I'll sing. I pray, I'll praise him. I pray no matter what happens, I can declare that Jesus Christ has power over the enemy and He set me free. And not only is my house getting cleaner and my being delivered from the issues and struggles that I have in my life, not only is all of that going on, but I can have joy when I shouldn't. I can praise Him when I shouldn't be able to. You know how many hundreds and hundreds of deathbeds I have been at to watch people praise in the middle of the storm. To watch a father's first act when his son dies. To be praising God. That's victory. That's real deliverance. Not not having problems, but the ability to 
fly over them so far that it, nobody even can understand how did that happen? How did they do it? And they stand back and they say, I've never seen anything like that before. But who they say that about? Jesus. You remember when Peter and John are, are ministering and they're doing their things and they get arrested by the same Sanhedrin that's going to kill Jesus and they bring them up and they're yelling at him and talking to him and they recognize that there's something different about these guys. And then it says they said, oh yeah, they were what? With Jesus. Folks, that's what a grateful believer in Jesus Christ looks like. Somebody had not only been delivered by giving their life to Him, but then is being transformed into His image because they are surrendering their control, their dreams for His. Can you do that? Because if you can't, maybe your house is empty. Maybe it's not full. I mean, would, would you... We always talk about this idea, right? That, that what we talk about is not religion, it's relationship, right? And in a relationship, there, it's, it's a, like a two-way deal, right? We, we seek them, they seek us. We want to know their thoughts, they want to know our thoughts. We want to know each other, we want to grow, we want to understand. And, and that's what God says He's looking for from us, faithfulness from us toward Him. And uh, that we would want to know Him. He says, I know you. I know the hairs on your head. I know everything about you. And he says, he knows better than you do. Do we really believe that? Or do our plans coincide with his? He says, I want you to let me in. And I want it all. I want the garbage under your bed. I want the stuff behind your hamper. I want the things, the under places you haven't moved in forever. I want it all. I, I want it all because it's you. It's who you are, really. It's really who you are, and I, and I can transform who you are. I can clean those places. I can make it good. I can deliver you from all of these things, but I can only deliver you. Let me in. So Roman, or Revelation chapter 3 says what? Jesus says, Behold, I do what? I stand at the door. And? And if you open that door, I'll come into you and sup. We'll have relation. If you let him in, because he wants it all. He, he won't just come to one room. I don't believe he'll come to one room. I believe he comes when we surrender. When we say, it's all yours. It's all yours. Now, it may take him a while to get a door open. But is it all his? Is it all yours? Is the room prepared for him? Jesus says, if you turn to any other power but me to gain self-control or power over your problems or your demons, if you turn to anything else other than me,
the end is worse. The call is to turn to Him. Jesus' victory over evil isn't temporary. 1 John 4, 4 says this, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Look, if Christ is in you, you've got nothing to fear. Nothing. He's the strongest man. Nobody's coming in. If he's not, that's why Paul says, let a man examine himself and see if he is in the faith. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, how do we get in the faith? How do we get in Christ? When you hear the gospel and believe. When you hear the gospel and believe. It's our prayer this morning. That as you look at this idea, you would recognize, even in a place like this, there are spiritual battles. Spiritual things happening. Answers we don't have. Lots more questions. But God tells us where to find the victory. The victory is in Him. He will set us free. And he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, as we come to you this morning, Lord, we are reminded of the reality of the supernatural world. The Bible tells in Revelation chapter 12 that on that day when Satan is cast from heaven, at least a third of the stars go with him. A third of an innumerable host. Sometimes, God, we we think they don't exist or they're not doing anything or they can't affect us or they can't make us sick or they can't, I don't know, do, <clears throat> do things. Sometimes, God, we look at it and we, we say that it's all about them and it's not me. And the reality is, man, I bring some of my own demons into this whole equation. I bring my own choices and my own stupidity and my own corruption and when I look at it all and I see all of this I see all of this it's no wonder that Jesus you said you're in bondage you're in bondage to your own wicked heart you're in bondage to the powers of the enemy that you can't even see but God you declare that you want to you want to set me free you want to deliver me. You want to deliver me from the wickedness of my own heart. You want to deliver me from the power of the enemy that I, that I can't even fully comprehend. God, You... You look down on creation and You see man depraved and wicked and being corrupted by spiritual outside forces and being corrupted by his own 
wicked heart. And you say, I can make you clean. But you gotta, you got to surrender your house. you got to give yourself to me. you got to let me in. For I'm here and I'm knocking and I, and I continue to knock and I continue to look and I continue to seek and I continue to reach out my hands all day long to disobedient and contrary people. And all we have to do is just lay down my will because so far that's not working. What I have to do is lay down who I am. And my, my dreams are twisted. My desires are twisted. My life is twisted. And if I hold on to all those things, I'm going to stay twisted. So I lay them all down. I lay them all down at the altar before the cross of Jesus Christ. And I say, I don't want this stuff anymore. I don't want my twisted desires. I, I need deliverance. I need delivered from my heart. I need delivered from outside forces that are working in my, not, my life. I need delivered from the chaos all around me I need you I'm broken I need you to cleanse me and purge me I need your desire to be my desire I need your will to be my will we just looked last week at the Lord's prayer oh father in heaven hallowed be your name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven let your will be done in me let's start there God sweep my house out fill my house with your presence deliver me Because when that really happens in the heart and the soul of a, of a person, when people see it, they all say the same thing. What happened to you? And the door is open. The door is open to share with them. Jesus wants to set you free. We can all deny it's there. We can all deny that we're sick. We can all deny that we don't have those feelings. We can all lie to ourselves all day long. But I pray, dear God, that we would hear, that we would listen, that we would open the door of our heart, that we would submit and allow you, Lord God, to rescue us so that we can become white like snow. So that we can become like you. So I pray as we worship God, your spirit move in this place. God, that you would move and work in our hearts and that nobody would leave here without reflecting on the truth of what your word is laying out for us this morning. If you are not with me, then you are against me. I'm with you till the wheels fall off and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.